You're listening to Undetermined, Deaths, Disappearances, and Mysteries. I'm your host, Dr. N. Today, I want to talk about a mysterious manuscript that has baffled historians and codebreakers alike. Its name is the Voynich Manuscript. It was named after a man who bought it in 1912. I'll discuss the mysterious origins of the manuscript, the theories as to what it's written in, and what it may actually be about. So what is the Voynich Manuscript, and why are so many people interested in it? It is full of unknowns, which naturally draws curiosity and intrigue. The content may very well be of little importance, but the fact that it has remained indecipherable for 600 years makes it the object of much research. Most people agree it is likely a cipher, which is a coded pattern of letters. The manuscript contains 246 pages, some of which fold out and some of which are missing. There are illustrations and diagrams contained on most of the pages. There's also evidence that it had been rebound for structural integrity, meaning the order of the pages may not be how it was originally written. Many believe the writing is a cipher because the text is written in an unidentifiable language, but because the cipher has remained uncracked to this day, there are those who believe it's just nonsense. Some pages do have some decipherable Latin script, but overall, the writing is unrecognizable. Researchers have identified between 20 and 25 unique characters in the writing that accounts for nearly all of the text, and it's written from left to right. There's disagreement about the distinction between certain characters, making decoding that much harder. There aren't any noticeable errors or corrections, which is a big argument against it being a cipher. If you were translating a language into coded characters, it would be immensely difficult to maintain a smooth flow in writing without making mistakes unless you were fluent in the cipher. There's no noted delay between characters that is expected when you're writing an encoded text. And an additional observation, there's no obvious punctuation, which is kind of interesting. More specifically on the topic of ciphers, it's much easier to crack them when you know the language of origin. That's been a really huge hurdle in this case in particular. Ciphers contain meaningful text in a language that is intentionally obscured through some pattern. They follow a rule. It seems like a logical explanation for the manuscript, but many have questioned why it was necessary to use a cipher for the contents at all. Why would someone have a reason to hide this information? Maybe it went against cultural or religious norms of the time. Maybe they didn't want someone to plagiarize the findings. Or it may have contained personal details that they didn't want someone to find out if it were ever lost. There are certainly many reasons why someone would want to hide this information. We just don't know. The specific groupings of letters in the manuscript suggests it may be a verbose cipher, 
So this is where single letters are enciphered into groups of fake letters. It could have started as a really simple cipher that was then translated using more complicated techniques. And these techniques could include meaningless or duplicative symbols, transposing the cipher itself, rearranging letters, using false word breaks, among many other complicated techniques. The more complication you introduce, the harder it is to backtrack to the original text, especially if the language is unknown. The Voynich manuscript has an interesting history of ownership and origin. We don't know who wrote it or what it's even for, but carbon dating has dated it back to the early 15th century, specifically between 1404 and 1438. Some believe it was composed in Italy during the Italian Renaissance. Radiocarbon dating of samples that were taken from the manuscript's content was performed in 2009 at the University of Arizona. Further protein testing was done in 2014 that revealed that the pages were made of calf skin. Multispectral analysis was able to definitively show that this was the first use of the material. In other words, there hadn't been any other writing on it before the manuscript was created. The amount and detail of the illustrations make it somewhat easier to speculate about the contents of the manuscript, but not much. Some scholars believe there are six distinct sections of the book based on the contents of the illustrations. These include an herbal section, astronomical, biological, cosmological, pharmaceutical, and then recipes. Over the centuries, the owners of the manuscript also may shed some light on the contents as well. It's been owned by alchemists, emperors, and astrologers. One of the first confirmed owners of the manuscript, Georg Beresh, was a 17th century alchemist from Prague. Now this is nearly 200 years after the assumed creation of the manuscript, and it's unknown where it was during the time before Rudolf II, a Holy Roman Emperor, may have possessed it near the end of the 16th century. From Baresh, the manuscript was passed on to a friend and rector of Charles University in Prague. A few years after acquiring it, this friend sent it to another friend, Kircher, at Collegio Romano. From there, there's no record of the manuscript for about 200 years, the assumption being that it was actually stored in the library of Collegio Romano. To raise money, some of the manuscripts, including the Voynich manuscript, were set to be sold to the Vatican, though this one didn't make it there. It was instead sold to Wilfred Voynich, along with 30 other manuscripts. It stayed in Voynich's family until 1960, when Voynich's wife died. The friend it was left to sold it in 1961 to an antique dealer. Now, the dealer was unable to find a buyer. They ended up donating it to Yale University in 1969, where it's kept today. Some scholars believe that the manuscript is actually a hoax some stating that Voynich fabricated it himself, though 
This was debunked due to the results of the carbon dating, and that's something you can't fabricate. Other hoax theories derive from the suspicious content. The inability to decode the text may mean it's actually meaningless. In the early 2000s, Gordon Rugg, a computer scientist, was able to recreate characters similar to those in the manuscript, using what was called a card and grill. And that's a device used to produce characters using a table of word prefixes, stems, and suffixes. And you combine those with a perforated paper overlay. The only problem with this theory is that the card and grill wasn't invented until 100 years after the creation of the manuscript. The similarities between the manuscript and what was produced as part of Rugg's experiment could merely be coincidental, and it honestly sounds like a lot of work for a hoax. Another researcher, Andreas Skinner, explored the statistical properties of the manuscript and concluded that it was more aligned with meaningless word creation produced by a quasi-stochastic method rather than a real language. Other researchers set out to debunk this hoax argument, and one theoretical physicist, Marcello Montemuro, claimed to have found semantic networks within the text showing patterns of content-oriented words, or the appearance of new and different words when a topic changes. This suggests that the manuscript might be too complex to be a hoax. It would again be an awful lot of work just for gibberish. Though, as a rebuttal, two sets of researchers set on proving the hoax claim that there are mathematical explanations for the properties of the text. Rugg and Taylor in 2016 claimed there was a simple explanation that could explain these properties that derive from a hoax. Tim and Skinner also showed in 2019 that an algorithm that was accessible to medieval authors could have generated meaningless text matching the statistical characteristics of the Voynich manuscript. It seems in these cases, the people who are looking to prove the hoax might just be finding patterns where there aren't any. You know, humans are notoriously guilty of this. It's sort of wired into the way our brains work that we are constantly looking for patterns even when they don't actually exist. And that can go the other way. That can also explain the patterns that the scholars are finding who are trying to debunk the hoax argument. So there's really no definitive proof one way or another. Now some recent work has turned up a number of claims of breaking the code, though there's no scientific consensus for any of these as of this recording. One researcher, Nicholas Gibbs, believed he had cracked the code in 2017. He believed it was a guide to women's health, and a plagiarized one at that. How scandalous. It was actually not that uncommon at the time, in the 1400s. This was pre-printing press, so it was pretty common for people to copy books. They were very rare, so if you wanted a copy of something, there weren't any copyright laws that would have prevented someone from doing that. So it wasn't that uncommon. Gibbs believed that 
he was looking at a common abbreviation used in medieval Latin for medical herbal treatments. Now this led him to believe it was all written in shorthand. It wasn't even a code at all. So he then cross-referenced Latin medical texts and discovered a lot of the text and even the imagery was taken directly from these texts. He believed the imagery supported his theory that it was a personalized gynecological women's health book. His findings triggered a lot of skepticism in the community. And there were a lot of objections to his conclusion that it was just all abbreviations. Many medieval Latin scholars pushed back on Gibbs's take, saying that the translations don't even make sense. Though, the conclusion that it was a book dedicated to women's health is something others are actually more likely to agree on, since a lot of people had already come to that conclusion. A few years ago, Canadian codebreakers set out to break the code using artificial intelligence. They assumed the text was made from a type of vowelless alphagram, and that's something where words are rewritten alphabetically, in this case without the vowels. So these codebreakers trained an algorithm to decipher 380 different language versions of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the AI ended up having a 97% success rate in matching anagrams to modern words. They then gave the algorithm the first 10 pages of the Voynich manuscript. What did they find? About 80% of the encoded words came out to be Hebrew in origin. This was the biggest challenge, finding the language. So the next step was to figure out the code that was used. A Hebrew scholar was not able to translate the first sentence or any of the first 10 pages, but Google Translate was able to produce something. It didn't make a ton of sense, but it, it was words. With the code, the researchers were able to translate another section, but the validity of the findings is in question. The main criticism for this approach was that the AI program was trained using modern-day languages rather than the 15th century version of those languages. Now that isn't to say that the Voynich manuscript wasn't written in Hebrew, but it would have been a very different version of Hebrew than we use now and what's in Google Translate now. And what about that other 20% of the words the algorithm couldn't even account for? That's a pretty large margin of error, and there are some researchers that believe there are more languages that might feed into that 20%. Again, very complicated. The researchers from this project believe that they did pinpoint the main language even if they didn't break the code, and that's still a step in the right direction at least. More recently, a German Egyptologist believes he cracked the code stating the language of origin is Hebrew. Now, as I just discussed, others have speculated and found some evidence that Hebrew could be the language, though there are no reliable translations that have ever been produced out of this assumption. There is compelling evidence that the origin language is Hebrew, though it could still be a constructed language despite this evidence. Over the years, 
many people have been wrong about the language and about the coding system. Some of the very best code crackers in the world have failed to crack this code. The secrets this manuscript has that seem so valuable given the complexity of the cipher have been sought out far and wide by many a scholar over the decades since Voynich acquired it. And the jury's still out on it being entirely gibberish. It remains one of the oldest, most puzzling mysteries in cryptological history. And until we find a substantiated code, the coding and the meaning of the Voynich manuscript remain undetermined. Thank you for listening to episode seven. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Please let me know your thoughts on the case. You can reach me through Instagram at undeterminedpod or send me an email at undeterminedpod at gmail.com. If you have an undetermined story of your own, I'd love to share it on the podcast. If you'd like to support this podcast, please subscribe, download episodes, and leave a review. And as always, stay curious. All episode content was researched, written, and produced by me, Dr. N. Sources for all episodes can be found at the link in the episode notes. All music you hear on this podcast was written and produced by me, Dr. N.